You're listening to the Haney Company Financial Guy Show. No nonsense, just a crazy mix of life, business, the funny, and of course we're going to talk about your money. But just sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. What could go wrong? Welcome to another episode of the Haney Company Financial Guys Show. I am your host, Brian Haney, and I have the man, the myth, and the legend, Mr. Adam Cole, with me today. Adam, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Brian. I really appreciate it. You know, I was very excited. I think this is a long time coming, and I know Mm -hmm. uh, our audience is going to love the discussion, but, you know, we got to come out the gate swinging. So let's get out, you know, let's deal with the hard hitting questions right at the beginning. If you could live anywhere in the world for a year, where would you live? I don't know if this is like the easy or cheesy or both answer, <laughs> but uh, right now it's wherever my 18-month-old nephew is, uh, which is where I'm fortunate to live right now, about five minutes away from him. Aside from that, I just had such a marvelous time in Barcelona about six years ago, and I just think it's a wonderful place. There's water, there is art. There's music, there's culture, there's food, there's outdoors, and it also has a pace that more befits my personality type than the uh, Manhattan, Oakland, San Francisco's that I used to live in once upon a time. I love it. It it is on my short list. I have yet to make it there. So uh, I think in the next, hopefully, couple years, especially now that we are, you know, getting back to a dynamic where we can travel again. Mm -hmm. uh, I know my wife is also, it's on her short list too. So there's, of the of the few international cities that are in line, I think it's going to be, it'll, it'll get up closer to the top. So that's, I like it. All right. Excellent. Yeah. And or the uh, the easy and cheesy, but no, family, family always is, is, is a huge, Indeed. huge reason. I think that's one of the ways I locked my brother into coming to work with us. So, all right. What food will you not eat under any circumstance, including penalty of death? Has anyone made the meatloaf joke before no because so, right like i would do anything for love but i won't do that but uh it just what it makes me think of when you ask that question but i've been vegan for eight years so anything that has uh, dairy or eggs or, or or meat in it uh but honestly within the way of life i choose i'm a pretty adventurous eater i will try most things but when I was thinking about this question, I had to remember back to my non-vegan days and my goodness, pickled herring, I just couldn't. And my family, like we're on both sides, European Jewish, like Poland, Russia, that kind of area. And I love so many of the foods. I mean, growing up, I loved eating things like white fish and smoked salmon or lox even cow's tongue, right? And which is not a traditional, certainly like American food, or I should say US food, uh, a pickled herring, I just could not, I just could not, I tried. And I mean, certainly all the more so now because it's it's not vegan, but my God, oof, no, not for Okay. Me. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely, I don't think we've even come close to that realm. So <laughs> yeah, all right adding it to the list. One of these days I'm going to publish the, the not eat under any circumstance list. It's going to be a pretty interesting one. So, <laughs> all right. What celebrity would you want to have dinner with the most and why? And I'll give you an extra uh, leeway here. It can be alive or dead. 
So. Yeah. Well, okay. As you can see from how I answer already, I am a analytical person uh, and a former lawyer. So uh, that goes with the territory. But, you know, if I were to say any person of any fame level, uh, I'm fascinated by the mind of Alan Watts, who is a philosopher and writer, basically an ontological writer about the nature of human existence and the ways that we function and the tensions we have with the uncertainty and uncontrollability of the universe and our desire to do it, to control it, nevertheless. Uh, but if I was going to go a little more traditional celebrity, I would have to say LeBron James because I just admire the heck out of the guy. He is not perfect. He's made mistakes, but he speaks up for what he believes in. He is more committed to taking care of his physical body than I could ever imagine being to anything. <laughs> he is either the greatest or second greatest basketball player I've ever seen, uh, which of course, Michael Jordan being the other. Um, I appreciate how he is like, okay, I'm going to say what I think, right? And typically he's done his research as well. And he doesn't let it get in the way that people don't like it or they're critical or they tell him shut up and dribble or whatever. He's like, look, I'm gonna say what I have to say. And it doesn't hurt that he has enough money that, you know, you can't really, you can't really touch him from that perspective, right? If at any point he wanted to close all the shutters and blinds and lock the doors and, you know, he would have still hundreds of millions of dollars <laughs> to draw from. And so I, I just think he would be fascinating to talk to. They say he's got an incredible photographic memory that he can remember everything that was happening on the court and know exactly where different people were at different moments on the court. So I just think it's rare to find somebody who has that mix of things that has this uh, social awareness, courage to speak up, and is that exceedingly brilliant as an athlete and as a person. Um, you know, we have a handful of examples of that in any given generation. Uh, and so, uh, you know, like I said, and, and plus I'm, I'm a South Florida kid. So I had him for four years as a member of the Miami Heat, two championships, four finals. So, you know, that would just be uh, fun to reflect on too. I like it. And I agree. I think that certainly those that stand out that are able to blend kind of athleticism, activism, and seem to be able to land that as, as well as probably one can in an environment today where, it seems like you can't really go right sometimes, even when you're trying yeah. to. It's, it's, yeah, I, I, I certainly appreciate yeah. that. It takes courage, right? Like uh, recently with um, it's Naomi Osaka, right? The tennis yeah. player oh my gosh. who spoke up about mental health and dealing with the media. And, you know, she's not the first person to speak up about it, but it made a big impact. And you say something like that, knowing that a big chunk of the world that tens of millions of people are going to think negatively about you, regardless of what particular opinion you hold. And, you know, she was willing to speak up about it. And other athletes have, have referenced it as well. Um, but she did it in such a beautiful way. You know, I think in the past, like Kyrie Irving has just like ducked out of media obligations and she really came and spoke about why um, and supposedly 
they're listening to her. They want to talk to her. They want to understand more about how to support the mental health of their athletes. So I certainly think mental health is an extremely important topic and under discussed, but getting better. But I just admire that courage. You know, I have a, it's like, I don't like one person being mad at me, right? The thought of tens of millions. I don't know. Maybe it makes it easier because it's such a large number, but you know, that's uh, that's impressive. That's, that's courage. That's a certain level of emotional grit that I admire. No, absolutely. I mean, I think, and even if, you know, Michael Phelps started to speak out post Olympics, I know he was even doing some advertisements, but yeah, you know, I think that there's a much needed uh, move to be bringing mental health into the same context conversation of every other kind of health, because, you know, if you're going to, if nobody blinks when they say, Hey, you know, go to, go to the doctors to have your annual physical. I don't know why all of a sudden taking care of our minds seems to still be this taboo component or, you know, something that there has to be a level of hidden shame or, or pejorative or whatever it is. And so, yeah, I think it's great, you know, uh, certainly timely, especially as we come out of this pandemic that has had a significant mental toll collectively on society. Right. So it's, 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 it's a good time to be having these types of conversations. For sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. All right. Besides this one, and of course, your own fabulous podcast, what other podcasts do you like to consume that you would recommend to our audience? I, years ago, found the Freakonomics podcast and the Freakonomics blog, and I just thought they were like the coolest thing ever. I mean, I studied economics, so I already came in with an interest, but it was just so neat to find people who were willing to look at things from a different point of view and not only bring that kind of qualitative side of things to look at things creatively, but also to marry it with the quantitative side, right? And so I like when content has me learn something new and question my assumptions. Um, Learning new facts is great and that's helpful, but when something causes me to question my underlying assumptions and premises, well, now you teach me one new fact, you taught me one new fact. You have me question my underlying premises. Now you might've changed everything in the way that I see the world, right? And um, I, I just appreciate that so much. So shout outs to an oldie, but a goodie Freakonomics. Love it. No, absolutely. I, I've, I've long been a fan and, I, and I'm also a kindred spirit, I think, to you in terms of I, this is probably lines up with my, my ADD, though. I'm, I'm all for blowing up the way I see things and trying to figure out something new. So anything that, that kind of gives you that juice or forces a paradigm shift or confronts you with yes. an alternative perspective, I'm kind of like, you know, I, I feel like I'm about as open minded as I possibly can be. But things like that are always so compelling. So I love it. Yeah. And I love the way you put it. And then hopefully I'll be able to do just that for our listeners around the intersection of relationships and money. Yes. Well, let's let's dive into that story now. Tell the audience about yourself and what you do. What I do is a blend of financial coaching and relationship coaching in that I help you get your finances right. I work with couples specifically, but it's not just about having a bigger number in your savings account or a smaller number in the debts column. It's about having peace of mind that you know what's going on and you're making the right steps toward a goal. It's about working as teammates with your significant other or with your spouse. 
right? It's like we invest so much in these relationships where we have so much love and affinity for this person. In many cases, we consider our partner our best friend. And when we don't have that kind of relationship in the money space, it can actually take a really significant toll on the quality of our relationships. And I hate to see it. It's a top cause of stress and divorce. And my work as a certified mediator, as former tax lawyer, as a former financial advisor, I bring it all together to help couples just be able to communicate about this, understand and get clarity around their finances, and then work as teammates in executing a plan that allows them to live the kind of life they want to live. Oh man, I love it. Gosh, I'm, that's Thank why you. that's why I love I love doing these conversations because now a this is all recorded for posterity, so I can remember the wisdom you just shared. But also, <laughs> this is why you and I uh, were kindred spirits from the beginning because I always Absolutely. it's always been my joke. You know, what do I really do? I'm half teacher, half therapist, and and, and essentially that's kind of what you just shared. And it's and it's not meant to be. Neither of those statements are meant to be pejoratives. And what you're talking about, it no, is not at all. Money is is far more emotional than it is logic, rational, and numbers and dollars and cents. And certainly, like you're saying, when it comes to relationships, it's, it's, it's a place where I'm sure you see this a lot, where you have a lot of shame, a lot of challenges with understanding and people not wanting to be seen. I mean, there's just so many things that it can bring out or that are hooked into it that have yeah. nothing to do with money. Right. And, you know, what you said... At the end of the day, most personal finance, as far as the numbers, it's, you know, the basic middle school level math. Uh, there's a little bit of like formulas for interest and compounding, but mm -hmm. we have computer tools that can do all of that for us, right? And don't get me wrong. I have a master's in tax law. There were plenty of things I had to try and learn or hopefully <laughs> learn that year that were exceedingly complex, but what's covers 99. 5% of the ground for 99.5% of people can be pretty easily done on a calculator or a spreadsheet. And so if you're listening and you're like, I know that things are not going as well as they could be financially, it's not because you're not good at math. There's something else going on. Now, maybe the fact that you say, I'm not good at math, and then you take that a step further and say, therefore, I'm not good at money. But that's a, a narrative that some people create for themselves. And it's not necessarily the truth. Plenty of people I admire and respect in the finance world, if you asked them 12 times 15, they'd be like, what are you, why, why, why are you asking me this? <laughs> um, and it doesn't take a single thing away from how brilliant they are at what they teach and what they do. No, you're right. And your brand is the couple's financial coach. And so I want to, I want to just really zero in on why, why did you hang your shingle there? Talk about that. Well, I mentioned this before, financial stress is the number one cause of like financial issues are the number one cause of stress and arguments in relationships. And every study I've ever seen a top three or four cause of divorce. And that really blew my mind. And I had been working with people on relationships, like as a coach and communication stuff and money stuff, but kind of in this, they were more or less separate spheres or if they came up, they came up. If they didn't, they didn't. And then through, a networking conversation, a guy once said to me, well, what about financial communication? That's a top cause of divorce. And when I looked it up, I saw he was right. And then when I looked it up further, I was like, why, why are there no people specializing in this? 
why are there so few books written about this? Um, we're going back about three and a half years now. There's a handful more people specializing in it now and a handful more books, but it's still an extremely small number when you think about how much of an impact it has on our quality of life, right? And yet there's so few people who work on these topics. And I just said like, you know what? I think I can make a real difference here. Um, I personally know this thing of divorce, even though not financially influenced, uh, like mine wasn't related to money, but I know that sting. And if I can help couples avoid that, then that would be amazing. And then along the way, I realized not only was I able to help couples avoid divorce, right? And that's happened. I've had clients come to me and in the first conversation, I'm like, how's this going to go in a few years if nothing changes? Remember one wife said, honestly, when the kids are older in a few years, I'll probably walk out, right? And by the end of our time working together, they were best friends again. Literally, that's what she started calling him her best friend again, just plus all the financial gains, right? But it wasn't just not get divorced. I realized there was this opportunity to take couples who had a great relationship already, but money was tense or overwhelming or they avoided it and actually have them take their relationship to another level. And I mean, my clients, they've gotten raises, they've opened and reopened dream businesses, they've paid off mountains of debt. Um, but for me, I love seeing people connect more deeply. It's something that I just crave and the ability to be a part of that, especially in a, a topic area that is such a taboo and such a challenge for people. Um, I love the impact I get to make. I love the chance to support people's relationships. And at the end of the day, I'm a finance numbers geek. So, you know, I get to include that piece of it as well. I just was like, wow, what a, what a beautiful marriage of the career, educational and life experiences I've had that at the time seemed completely disparate. Right. And yet I found something that's able to blend them. And that's something I'm really grateful for. Now, and, and you do it so artfully and that's so important. And, and Thank you. you know, you really, you, you have hit on that. It, it is certainly the opportunity for additional closeness, vulnerability and connection that, you know, improves intimacy. It, it improves general quality of daily living. I mean, there's so many, you know, getting kind of that money barrier out of the way doesn't just make the money situation better, but it, it unlocks so many elements of a better life. And, and yet, I, you know, I think it is certainly hard for, uh, you know, couples or, or, or people in general to maybe see it that way. And so um, what would you say are perhaps some of the biggest common challenges that you see people coming in the door with, you know, these are, hey, this is a complaint or this is an issue that just seems to thematically come up. I'm sure there's probably a handful that I know over the years you've, you've, you've got a good running list. Yeah. So in the vein of what we were talking about of being, you know, perspective shifting, a lot of people come to me and they say, you know, we look at money differently and we have different goals or values around money. And I look back at them and I say, so what, what, what's, why is that a problem? Right. We, we've kind of concocted as a society, certain things that we think if A, then B, and the B is 
then we have a problem and an issue around money. And the A is well, we have different goals or different values. Therefore, it's a problem. Well, tell me more. When, where, why, and how does it become a problem, right? There's nothing inherently wrong with that you and your significant other spouse have, let's say, some shared goals and some individual goals. Instead of getting caught in that spinning vortex that will keep you anxious from its centrifugal force, take a step outside. Well, how does this actually impact my relationship? I'm not saying it can never have a negative impact that it's made up. I'm saying get really clear about how, because it's inside of that where you want to look, right? When you have a, a drawer that's rickety, you don't take the screwdriver and tighten every screw. You find the screw that's actually loose and you tighten that screw. The other screws are not a problem, right? So you don't have to change those things if you have certain different goals. Okay, but find out where it's actually an issue and then go deal with that, right? And relatedly, they say, well, you know, we uh, we have different backgrounds with money. You know, I grew up one way, he grew up another way. She grew up one way, I grew up a different way. Same answer, so, so what? In fact, I take it a step further and say, if you and your spouse have different money mindsets, different relationships with money, grew up learning different lessons about money, you can actually really use that to your advantage. See, if you have a saver, let's say somebody whose inclination is to not spend and to sock it away and to be really conservative, and they get with somebody who has the same inclination, you might feel more comfortable at times and safer, but you also probably don't learn as much, right? You don't have as much variability and you both stay kind of entrenched in your ways of looking at money and your ways of looking at the world versus if your person, you're someone whose default is to not spend and to sock it away and to be conservative. And then you end up with somebody who loves to be spontaneous and enjoy life and believes, you know, you can't take it with you. So you got to enjoy it. The golden mean can sit between the two of those. You each have something to teach the other person that can make a huge difference. And I see this in my own relationship. My fiance, not in any way reckless, but she works hard and she takes good care of herself, right? Whatever that is, you know, a good uh, skin product or a nice toothbrush or healthy food or whatever the case may be, right? And my personality type is to, I don't really need it. Uh, I don't know. I, I could wait till it gets on a better deal. But then she influenced me to be more generous with myself, right? So I went out and bought that like 40 or $60 memory foam mattress topper. And you know what? I sleep better. That's worth it for me. That's worth it, right? Um, so there are opportunities there. Whatever is the thing that drives you nuts about your partner, there is often something beautiful in it. And I'll share a story of a client so I had a client where one was more conservative and her default was not to spend. And the husband was more of someone who spent more easily and enjoyed spending. And, you know, it, he was described as like, if he got something and he liked it, that wasn't enough. He wanted to get one for his wife, for her sister, for his best friend, for his best friend's sister. Right. And that bill would add up. So he didn't have a good handle on his financial situation and his wife helped get him into shape and be more disciplined. But then on one of our calls, he referred to himself as that 
he can be a frivolous spender. And I went back and I said, use an interesting word, frivolous. Why did you use that word? And it came out like he was still judging himself for his way of wanting to give and, and purchase for other people. And I said, look, what about if we said you're generous, right? Now that doesn't mean that you need to buy everything for everybody all the time because the number in your bank account is the number in your bank account at the moment. And you have to be realistic about that, but you're a generous spirit and that's beautiful, right? Now let's see how you can get clear on your current financial situation and clear on your goals and clear on how to get there so that you can now be really intentional. So instead of just buying something for everybody because you liked it, maybe you can carve out a portion of your spending plan each month for you to buy gifts for other people. And you can go be generous and do it without shame or guilt or worry or without your wife getting on you about it because it's built in, right? Um, and money can actually be an opportunity for self-expression. I am not one for pithy phrases. I think they're almost always not sufficiently nuanced, but the idea of like, if you want to know what someone values, see how they spend their money. Um, I think if you add time and energy to that, you want to see what someone values, see how they spend their time, money, and energy. Yeah, that I think it definitely resonates with me. I don't know about you, Brian, but that resonates with me big time. I want to pull on this thread a little bit more with you because one of the things I, I and I, I've written even a couple of recent articles kind of expanding on this, I say, you know, the difference between success in, in, in finances and, and how someone might define wealthy is not how much money somebody had, but what they did with what they had that to me makes all the difference in the world in terms of you know, experiencing whatever we might quantify as wealth versus just passing through the finances and the resources in, in, a, in a less than altruistic value-centered way. And I think that, that what you were sharing is something that, you know, I, I think is a, is a really critical and yet, I mean, so often missing component to the financial industry in general. I mean, and you've certainly seen this having sat in, in you know, my seat, you know, in the financial professional arena or financial advisory, where, you know, now there's there's a movement in the investment world talking about values driven or, you know, socially responsible investing, all that kind of stuff. So, so the concept now is starting to be built for this premise of aligning at least your investments with things that are valuable to you. But, yep. but, but let's bring it back around to what you just said. What if we took that to a very personal granular level with our, with our family finances and just said, all right, yep. what are the things that I value and how can I create the right financial framework to accomplish those? Because I think that that's something that most people tend to not see. They don't put that filter on their money. Yeah, right. And even something I see a lot with people, a quick hack for anyone listening, without spending a dollar less, look at the restaurants you ate at or ordered in from in the last month and figure out which ones you like the least. For the next month, instead of spending at that restaurant or those couple of restaurants, take that money and put it at the one you love the most, right? It's, it's not just about spending less, it's about does where you put your money bring you more in line with the life you wanna have, which certainly future goals are important, right? Whether it's investing for retirement or saving for a down payment for a house or whatever the case may be. Uh, emergency fund, and also how you choose to spend your money, the things you do use it for, right, um, makes such a difference. 
they can make such a profound difference in your quality of life. No, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And so how how important would you then say, and then since we're talking about this and let's go real real narrow for a second, how important would you say to someone that that really budgeting and debt management and, and optimizing your month over month cash flow, how important is that? I wanna say it, but through a story. I had a client who was making good money, six-figure household, two parents, three kids, living in a pretty expensive area. And they were really just getting by, you know, the type that has credit card debt, maybe they they pay it off, but then they accrue it again after a little while, right? A very common narrative in families in the US. And their faith was really important to them. And I remember as they advanced through the program, started having healthy dialogue around money, started understanding where their money was and where it was going and where it was coming from and what it was gonna take to achieve their goals. The husband said to me something along the lines of how beautiful it was for them to be able to tithe. And they weren't there at the moment, but he's like, I now can see that we can tithe 10% from a place of generosity and love. He's like, that is so much more aligned with my value set, right? I'm not a religious expert, but you know, whoever, whatever your religion is, it's like, do you really think, like what kind of difference would it make for you to honor your relationship with God, Buddha, Allah, Jesus, whoever, by like, wow, this relationship matters so much to me. And I took a really holistic view of what I'm doing in terms of my finances and my choices so that I could give from a place of a pure heart and generosity rather than what a lot of us do now, which is like, we feel guilted into it or shamed into it, or maybe we don't feel guilty or ashamed, but maybe we just feel a lot of pressure because we want to give, there's a community expectation of giving, but we're like nervous. Like, but what about my student loans? But what about my credit card bill? But what about that that new house I want to buy? And it's like, now you're in this place of conflict regarding something that is of such existential importance to you, like your religious faith, right? And just hearing my client share that, it was really moving to me how beautiful to see the path to where he could tithe. And it was just a pure act of love and giving, right? He said, that's like so much more aligned with my faith. That brings me so much closer in terms of my relationship with my faith. Unless you are fortunate to be extraordinarily wealthy, that's generally only possible by having a thoughtful plan. And even then usually requires a little bit of work on your relationship, your kind of emotional cognitive relationship with money, because those of us who have anxiety around money, like me, raise my hand, uh, (laughs) we can be, we can feel anxious whether we got a dollar, a hundred, a thousand or a million, believe me, personally and clients, I have seen it and experienced it again and again and again. So, both are important, right? But if you have both, look at the way that you can give to others, give to yourself, do for your loved ones from this amazing place of generosity, right? Um, I think that's such a gift. I've had those conversations and I've kind of joked sometimes or said, you know, how important is a budget? And I was like, well, if you want all this other stuff to work, 
And it's, it's pretty important. You can go without it, but <laughs> you know, it, it, it's kind of like, you know, how, how, how much do you really want to gamble on all these other priorities when, you know, the, the, the true kind of linchpin of making things, you know, if we use the sports analogy, the blocking and tackling to get across the goal line, you know, you're just not going to do without it. But yeah, I, you know, when you, I really appreciate how we keep going back to that. These things are tools. Money is just a tool, right? It's a means to living. When we start to take the tools that we have, but when we apply them with these value centered, these emotionally healthy frameworks, they become more powerful. In and of Absolutely. Themselves. Absolutely. And would you say, would you say that it, it, you've seen from a, from a kind of a return on your engagement standpoint, a much higher joy and excitement about accomplishing goals when people really start to put these, you know, these things into place? A thousand percent. And it's not just about the money side of things, right? I remember a client who they worked really hard to buy a home. And one of the husband's frustrations when they came to me was, we worked so hard to buy this home, but because of money, I can't turn it into my dream home. Okay, well, one way to turn it into their dream home is by being more thoughtful and intentional with their money and being able to set some aside for whatever updates, renovations, et cetera. But within a few weeks of them working with me, all of a sudden he was doing a bunch of projects around the house. Why? Not because they all of a sudden had a bunch of money. I don't have some magic pill overnight that adds a zero to your bank account. Once he and his wife were actually communicating about money and they could see that this was going to get better and healthier instead of avoiding each other and having that anxiety and resentment building up that so many couples deal with. Once they started to move towards being real teammates, there was an emotional weight lifted off of his shoulders. I mean, that's the only explanation I have for it. And instead of looking at it with this narrow frustration, like he had hung on to that thing about the dream home as like justifying his anger at his wife for how she was not doing the finances as well as she could have been. And once he basically got over himself in that regard, oh, wait, I could do this. I could do that. I could do that. I could do this. This only requires a screwdriver. This requires a bucket of paint. That's 12 bucks. And you remember he got on the call. He's like, you know, I'm working on things. I got my dad helping. I got the kids helping. It's awesome. Had nothing to do with dollars and cents. That was purely because they had started to work on this in earnest and saw that they were building that clarity, building that communication, building that teamwork and partnership. And so it's not just the numbers and the plan that are transformative. It's what happens along the way to creating that plan, to clarifying those numbers, to talking about your important goals, right? It's uh, like talk about this in the Buddhism a lot. It's not about accomplishing the chronological endpoint of the task, right? It's about who you are as you are going through it and who you become as you go through it, right? And it's so true in this area. And I really want to be an advocate for people seeing this as a space for growth, for personal growth, for growth and intimacy in the relationship, for growth in terms of cultural awareness of the different kinds of experiences people have around money, uh, of growth in our uh, knowledge about the ways that different people with different identities face particular challenges or are not paid the same or are less likely to get mortgages or, right? Like 
all of these things that deal around different identities people have and gender and race and sexual orientation and all of this, I think, look, I don't expect everybody to be as passionate about it as you and I are, right? I understand that. But I think there's a massive opportunity and most of it gets missed because we're uncomfortable, anxious, overwhelmed, uncertain. And so we just avoid it as much as we can, which makes sense in the moment, but the moment becomes a year, becomes a decade. And it's not just that, like I said, if you lean in, there's tremendous potential to learn, grow, be more at ease, have greater peace of mind, and just live the life that you actually want to live. And that's that's what I care about for people, that they're able to live the life they want to live. Couldn't agree more. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've always said, I think money is universal language, right? It brings everybody to the table. We all, it doesn't matter how much or how little you have, it in and of itself creates the biggest space for at least communication and engagement. And, and like you said, yep. think about all the dominoes that can fall when we start to deal with it more effectively and when we start to remove these emotional barriers, uh, as well as you know, really create the space for not just actualizing financial goals, but recognizing that financial goals are, are, are the smaller components to personal life satisfaction goals and how you really when you really build that out, you know, it, it, it becomes, you know, I, I know you've seen it, right. It, it, that I get really excited when, you know, I'm taking a client through a plan or, or, you know, they're starting to see things kind of unfold and they build that psychological excitement and momentum that doesn't require me to do much else. But once they start to see it and, and things become more tangible, Yes. All of a sudden it's, it's kind of like, wow, you know, you're having these kind of breakthroughs and people are happy and things become real. And it, I think it, it's wonderful. It is. And I, I love that you put that in the words because I see it all the time too. I remember one client was, she was super avoidant about money. Her partner wasn't, but you know, we started working together and all of a sudden that switch just flipped and she gets on her next call and she's like, Okay, so I figured out which debts I want to pay off first. And I called the bank about the one that's most important to me to pay off. And we made a plan and it's going to be gone in three months. And by the way, we decided how much we want in our emergency fund. And I was like, oh my God, I was so moved. But whatever shifted, she basically was able to get out of her own way for lack of a better phrase. And once she did she realized how exciting it was to be able to achieve these goals, to no longer have to carry around that low level anxiety uh, that she had to push down about her money every time it came up, right? Let alone the dissonance and disconnection in their relationship around the topic of money and things related to money. And I was just so proud and, and you, I love that you picked it up because that moment is, as the coach or advisor, it's a special moment when you just see, wow, all of a sudden, now they're like a, a ball rolling down a hill, right? They're just going to accelerate and accelerate and accelerate and gain their own momentum. They've got their own thing going for them and this just faster and faster almost. Yeah, it, it's wonderful. And it, and then, yeah, I mean, and I think that that's, that's the beauty of it, but then it's, it's, it's also, it brings it back to when I, when we talk about, you know, dreams and, and visions and all that kind of stuff. You know, it, it helps me really bring to the table and crystallize things for people. You know, these don't just have to be these dreams that we have that we don't actually really think can happen. If we 
take advantage of these tools and we create a plan and then we're intentional and we have a framework for approaching this, these things can become real. They can become tangible. There's no reason to say that they're pipe dreams. I, 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 I was so moved by this one client where there was the initial meeting that we were having and, you know, she was just describing, you know, the, the biggest focus was, was on retirement because that was pretty, you know, it was, it was in the, in the uh, windshield for her pretty close. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, you know, one of, I just, I, I don't remember how initial it was, but it was a throwaway statement that she made. So, well, this is kind of a pipe dream. And then, because I, I love those two words, because um, for me, some things can maybe just be that, but I, I don't know about you, but more often than not, when I've heard those two words, somebody say it, it's not, that's not what it is to them. It's just how it feels. And mm -hmm. so we spent the next 35 minutes of what became a, you know, uh, probably a two hour long meeting really digging in. All right, well, tell me about this. Like, what is the, describe it in, in gross detail. And then everything that happened after that, when I followed up and said, you know what? All right, here's this pipe dream you described to me. That seems pretty cool and pretty fantastic. Why don't we figure out a way to make it happen? Why don't we put some, put a framework in place to pursue it? You know, maybe it won't, be exactly how you described it. But if we get pretty close, wouldn't that be worth going after? And it was like, boom, you know, it was the magic is, well, why not? Right. Why wouldn't we do this versus if I had just come back and said, okay, well, you know, you're making this much and, you know, here's how we can replace this and kind of made it very fundamental and very kind of dry. Right. You know, it, 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 it was, a, again, it was the same, it's the same plan but it was just so much more meaningful. And, and I think that since that point, you know, we've not just developed the approach, but it feels different. And I mean, I just, I, I love that. I'm sure, you know, it's, it's every time somebody says, I just feel so much better. Huh. It's like, wow, great. Mm -hmm. So let's round it out. What would be some tools you would recommend if somebody's liking this, wanting to get going, um, is there a tool or a couple things that, that you've found really help maybe start people down this path? Yeah, I appreciate the question. Well, certainly I'll plug my own podcast, which is called the Couples Financial Coach Podcast. Here, here. Uh, and uh, I've had so many wonderful guests, including your host, Brian Haney. Uh, I also have a quiz on my website. It's couplesfinancialcoach.com slash quiz. And super quick, but it gives you what I call your couple's money personality type. That's something that basically illustrates how well and how much you and your partner are communicating about money. And then based on that, some tips and a free tool to get to the next level, right? Because it's going to be different. Some people come to me and they are like duking it out, fighting about money, right? In that case, I say, okay. Let's take a couple of breaths together. And maybe the thing to do is just talk about some financial things that you'd like to have that you don't currently have, right? Share some of those dreams, even if they feel like pipe dreams. Or maybe just tell each other what it was like growing up financially, how your parents or whoever raised you handled money. Not something to argue about, just to share and use the word vulnerable before. It's like you get a little bit vulnerable, but it's like, you're not really going to lead to an argument. And sometimes that's what you need is to build up, just start building that sense of trust. Now, sometimes people who come to me are, there's tension around money 
Um, maybe they fought in the past and so they're avoiding it. Right. And in that case, you want to start digging into things. And so you might also want to talk about some of how you grew up with money, but the thing to do is perhaps each week you say, okay, the goal for this week is we're going to figure out exactly how much money we're bringing in on a month to month basis, or we're going to figure out how much money we spent and what did we spend it on for the last three months. We're going to actually not try to shortcut it and then get some output from a tool like that we don't understand. We're actually going to do it, right? Or figure out what your debts are or your assets, but actually go to the numbers, right? That is the best way with the avoidance. The other part of that would be, you know, trying to understand why you're avoiding it and see if you can talk through that or work on that, uh, which might be an emotional thing or a relational thing. And for couples who are like, we can talk about money. We just don't know where to start. A lot of what I shared with the other two, right? Going and figuring out what are your current numbers. And there's three things that matter in terms of finances. Where are you at today? Where do you want to get to tomorrow? And how are you going to get there? Right? I call it like the point A, the point B, and the plan. Mm -hmm. So if you two feel comfortable talking about money, you just feel overwhelmed. Okay, what's our point A? What's our point B? What's our plan? Now, obviously, that breaks down into component parts. And if you're nervous, you could start with uh, part B. Funny thing is, a lot of people are actually, a lot of people actually struggle to talk about the things they want and the dreams they have. Mm -hmm. right? It's amazing. Yeah how difficult that is for so many of us. But that's the process. Where are we today? Where do we want to get to in the future? And how are we going to get there? At its core, that's what all of this is. And for any, no matter what space you are in as a couple, I say, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Take the next step in the right direction. Even if it's a two minute conversation, even if it's opening up one bank account, because even if you disabled the face ID, you know your password. Or you can reset it, okay? So no more holding out. Uh, but just that one step, right? Uh, don't don't let yourself be overwhelmed. You're like, well, I have to do this and this and this. Maybe it would be in your best interest to do all of those things. But take one step today. And you're going to be that much closer. You're going to have that much more awareness and knowledge and clarity. You're going to have that much more confidence. You're going to be working that much more as teammates. And that all is going to make a huge difference in how you experience life and how you experience money and how you experience the quality of your relationship. So take that next step in the right direction. I love it. Wow. I, I nothing, no, you can't add anything to that. That's fantastic. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. What's the best way for someone to contact you? Yeah. Well, like I said, I think it's great to start with either the couples financial coach podcast, which is on all the major platforms or check out my quiz at couplesfinancialcoach.com slash quiz. And beyond that, you can find me on the major social media channels. You can subscribe to my mailing list, you know, all, all the different ways. But I would say that's really where to start. Either the podcast or the quiz, get some value for yourself, learn a bit more about who I am and, and what I care about and how I talk about it. And if it vibes with you, then, you know, we can go from there, see if there's an opportunity to partner or work together or collaborate, you know, wh whatever the case may be. And you can certainly find my contact info on the website. So feel free to reach out. Let me know what you're struggling with. Let me know what you're working on. And uh, I'll see how I can support you in that journey. 
Thank you. Uh, yeah, everybody should be checking you out and you are very visible. You're right. So e easy, easy to find him in any social media space. But uh, thank you. Thank you for being on. And more importantly, thank you for doing what you do. It is so important. Same, Brian. It's so critical and it's so necessary. So we Same appreciate and it. Thanks to you for being a voice for progressive change in the finance world. So I, it's an honor to join you for this conversation. I appreciate it. All right, my friend. Take care. The information provided in this podcast is not intended as specific tax or legal advice and may not be relied upon for purposes of avoiding any federal tax penalties. The Haney Company, its employees and representatives are not authorized to give tax or legal advice. Individuals are encouraged to seek advice from their own tax or legal counsel. Individuals involved in the estate planning process should work with an estate planning team, including their own personal legal or tax counsel. The information provided here does not constitute personal financial advice, but is meant as the conveyance of information for educational purposes only. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Past performance is not indicatory of future returns. Guarantees are backed by the claims-paying ability of the insurer. Brian Haney is a registered representative of Coastal Equities Incorporated and an investment advisory representative of Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated. Investment advisory services are offered through Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated, and securities are offered through Coastal Equities Incorporated, member FINRA CIPIC.